Hello, my name is Itzel, and today we're going to be discussing Marsha P. Johnson, feminism, um, transphobia, and um, intersectionality, and oh yeah, you can't forget modern feminism with like girl boss, neoliberal stuff, so yeah. So to start off, um, Marsha P. Johnson was born in 1945, and um, unfortunately she died in 1992, in summer in 1992, on July 6th. Um, her death was a little suspicious, well not a little suspicious, it was very suspicious. Um, initially it was ruled as a suicide. She was only 46. She was very young. Um, what's it called? In two years prior, she had been diagnosed with HIV. But, um, a lot of activists prompted that they relook into her case, but the NYPD kind of refused to. Um, it was eventually ruled as a grounding with an indeterminate cause, but the, the conditions surrounding her death were very suspicious. So getting a little bit more into her life, um, she was the fifth child born into her family. She was raised Christian. They attended the Methodist church. And she partook in cross-dressing from age five and onward, but due to pressure from her peers and bullying, she had to stop. Um, she didn't very, I mean, what? She didn't feel very accepted there. So right after she graduated from Thomas A. Edison High School in New Jersey, she instantly moved to, York, to New York and adopted the full name Marsha P. Johnson where the infamous P actually stands for pay it no mind, um, which became one of her like most famous sayings. And then she became a self-proclaimed self -proclaimed drag queen and one of the first openly trans women, also adopting, adopting feminist feminine pronouns such as she, her. So yeah, that was kind of her early life. And yeah, she arrived um, in New York with like, I think, I believe it was $13 in her pocket. She, she really made it up. So then from that time onward, she um, began working as a sex worker for income. Often she was harassed and persecuted by her clients. She was arrested often because the New York state was not very accepting towards queer people. And that's a lot. That's like, a, sorry, that was a major contribution to the Stonewall in riots later in 1969. She felt very out of place everywhere she was um, until drag. She was, until, yeah, until she encountered drag. She was even famously quoted saying that, like, she was no one um, from, she was no one, nobody from Nowheresville until she became a drag queen because she just found sanctuary within that. She found sanctuary in being able to do that. She felt, she just felt accepted and she paved the way for many other people. And when she was 17, she met um, Sylvia Rivera. Sylvia Rivera from, she was Puerto Rican. She was Puerto, yeah, she was Puerto Rican. Um, and Marcia Pichon, she was very much of a mother figure to Sylvia Rivera. Um, they worked together during the Stonewall Riots, again, in 1969. Um, and they just found sanctuary together. Like they, they, what's it called? They felt as though they were rejected from a lot of spaces that were queer, which was true because intersectionality hadn't really been too popularized with the ongoing civil rights movement. Or with gay people, I guess it was with the movement in general, it was more concerned with it just didn't address the grievances of people of color when in reality, people of color were the ones who fought the hardest for the movement in terms of being on the front lines for riots and protests. And that was definitely the case um, with Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, because during. Oh, OK, let me contextualize the Stonewall riots a little bit. So gay clubs and hotspots were initially created because other public places or other public clubs were not very welcoming and very um, not safe spaces for LGBTQ people. So the Stonewall Inn became a very popular um, gay club. And well, the police knew this 
and they did not have a liquor license the club because often licenses were not granted or revoked by the new york state because they believed that like homosexuality was the, like the behavior was like not i guess enough to maintain a liquor license i don't know it was very it's, it was very targeted um, like just, oh yeah the homosexual nature was was just wasn't enough and so yeah that happened so then during the stonewall riots the police they had awarded everything they raided the stonewall inn and they arrested i believe it was 13 people um they arrested customers they confiscated um bootleg alcohol and gently harassed like kind of anybody in the vicinity and like bartenders and a lot of other um people became involved in the riots because it involved na um, neighboring people as well. And what was it called? Uh, what was it? Officers, I believe it was female officers, would um, go to the bathrooms to confirm or check the identity of people who appeared as they were cross-dressing. That was... Uh, okay, the entire situation was very bad, obviously. I mean, they're just harassing people for a living. <laughs> it was very discriminatory. But just, that was kind of very, like, that kind of sentiment of checking somebody in a bathroom to, to confirm their gender identity because of cross-dressing so-called is like it's very reminiscent of what's happening today i feel like as well like it feels like it's repeating itself with the recent um uproar over trans youth particularly in the united states um but what's it called so then after these people were arrested it was a big spark because i'm like unfortunately the raids had been so normalized that like at stonewall wasn't necessarily anything new However, activists and I like activists um, and just honestly LGBTQ people in general were being tired of being constantly harassed, being discriminated against by the state, by the police, by society in general. So they were just very done with it. They, um, what's called, eventually partook in the riots. Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson organized, I believe it was six of them. They were on the front lines against police, opposition, neighbors, because they felt like they had nothing to lose. Like they were quite literally fighting for their rights. So following the Stonewall riots, uh, Marsha P. Johnson, she partook in the Gay Liberation Front and the Gay Activist Alliance. The Gay Liberation Front was a little bit more radical when the Gay Activist Alliance was a little bit more moderate. They were like a more moderate kind of branch of the Gay Liberation Front. But what the Gay Activist Alliance did, or what, okay, well, both organizations did, is that they didn't really include people of color. This is where intersectionality comes in. And they were also very, uh, kind of, I, very transphobic vibes, like, very transphobic sentiment. They weren't very accepting, like, kind of think like TERFs, um, if you're unaware what a TERF is, a TERF are, like, they're trans-exclusionary feminists. They're like, they, they don't believe you can change your biological sex. They're, they're, think like J.K. Rowling. She's a turf. But beyond that, what's it called? A lot of that sentiment um, infuriated Marsha P. Johnson. I mean, rightfully so. It's really the, like, the racism as well, because that was, of course, that was part of it. And the early gay rights women in general, like, not just these two isolated organizations. I'm not saying just these two organizations were offensive. No, it was kind of, it was the entire movement. <laughs> um that just didn't support trans people and that were kind of, I called it a vanilla canvas because they were all white, which I mean, isn't wrong because LGBTQ people of color were excluded in their circles, in circles where they were supposed to find sanctuary because you would think, well, you know, it's an LGBTQ space, LGBTQ space, so you, I like, logistically you would think, oh yeah, you'd probably be accepting, but um, yeah, it's still, it, that unfortunately it is still the case in some places today. So Marsha B. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera 
eventually found, oh, sorry, it was Sylvia Rivera. Um, they founded STAR. It was an organization dedicating, dedicated to supporting young trans youth who had been, like, exiled from their families or their families had just been unaccepting in general. Um, what's it called? So the first STAR place, like, this first STAR kind of, like, establishment was in the back of a truck. And then it, it moved to a building but then unfortunately in the building they became evicted well they were evicted after eight months uh wow the government not helping people surprising but um in the face of like like intense adversity her advocacy never slowed down along with Sylvia Rivera like they they persevered through everything to get to achieve their goals or to achieve more equality within society so now I want to take a second to talk about like why they were so set on um, intersectionality and kind of dissecting what that liberal neoliberal okay no yeah liberal and neoliberal feminism along with like kind of what it is now of girl boss and why it didn't include people of color or trans women. So okay, the way you can think of girl boss feminism is instead of having the men exploiting and committing these horrific things you have women do it instead so think like margaret thatcher okay no maybe bad example think like um, who is a oh barry le pen she is uh okay maybe not the best example either not many people are familiar with her okay kamala harris i feel like um she's uh kamala harris is interesting in the ways that she is a woman of color in power right that is what kind of girl boss feminism strives for is to keep is to put these women in power they focus on that rather than dismantling the system so you still have the same restrictions in place it's, well yeah you do have the same kind of idea the whole concept still in place you just think oh yeah we're gonna put women there so instead of having the big evil man exploit children and everything and commit these horrific crimes you're gonna have a woman do it instead because that's okay so for that reason, I would consider Marsha B. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, Sylvia Rivera, womanist, because womanist, um, if you're unfamiliar with that term, um, a womanist is typically a black feminist who um, whose grievances are not addressed by liberal feminists. And that's why kind of the word feminism, it's it's controversial. No, OK, not eh, well, the depending on the context or really like the audience feminism can mean a few different things because yet again the majority of people when they think feminism they think like what i just explained about girl boss you know like hashtag slay feminism um so you know in class we have like a, a feminism scale or like a girl boss scale there's like girl boss angela davis aka good girl boss and then on the other side is like margaret thatcher type of girl boss derogatory i call it girl boss derogatory or i oh, know kara swisher um uh, she's, I don't think she's ever going to hear this, but Kara Swisher, I had to do something on her for an English assignment. And Kara Swisher, I, I saw her write something about China um, a few months ago for TikTok, for a TikTok argument, like a TikTok thing in my English class. It was, um, yeah, so that's like kind of derogatory type of slay. I mean, <laughs> derogatory type of girl boss. Um, and yet again, this feminism just keeps the system going. That's the whole point of liberalism in general. Liberalism is to be like laissez-faire. Well, I'm okay, laissez-faire. Okay, it all connects back to capitalism, but we'll get to that in a second. So laissez-faire just means let them work. Um, that was an ideology kind of, not ideology. That was, well, okay, I guess capitalism. Let them work was really kind of perpetuated by Adam Smith. He's like the father of modern capitalism and economics. But long story short, 
Um, with girl boss feminism, when you have the women do it, it's okay. Um, and like, it's, it's white women being very unaware of the problems of people of color or just blatantly ignoring them. Oh yeah, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is like, I think a pretty good example. She's a white woman, right? She's kind of an icon for feminism for a lot of people. But yet again, who is she? A vanilla woman. Um, and the problem is this when black people, when black women, black, um, brown women, when women of color um, stand up and, f and speak their, their truths, people don't listen. They, who do they listen to? The white women. They listen to the Taylor Swift. They don't listen to the women of color who are speaking from their true experiences. And it's the same cycle of when um, these white people are so apologetic about it. Like, oh my God, I never knew. Like, no, it's not that you're, that you didn't know. It's that you're actively not looking for it. So that's what liberalism does. It, it just, it, it seeks to maintain this. I think of God, I've said this like six times and it seeks to maintain the same system. And <laughs> liberalism kind of forces you, not force you, no, it does, it does. Liberalism forces you to, into a mindset of thinking of each mode of oppression or each type of oppression as independent, when in reality, they're all, um, they're all interconnected. They're all connected through white supremacy, connected through capitalism, because um, as I briefly mentioned earlier, liberalism and capitalism go hand in hand. So if the... <laughs> From a fiscal, uh, fiscal, ew. from a fiscal perspective, liberalism means like f total free trade, the market regulate itself, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, you know, monopolies and trusts exist, so and conglomerates, so you know, that's a whole nother. This is not an economics podcast. This is about Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. But um, ultimately, the states, we already know that the prison system is racist. We we already know that. That's a that's a whole nother thing on the 13th Amendment, et cetera, et cetera, but it obviously targets, or evident, sorry, it evidently targets and seeks to punish brown and black people, black and brown people. So when you have the added layer of being a member of the LGBTQ or being anything that differs from the typical vanilla person, then you are more subject to harassment and more of a, of a, a prey to that system. Therefore, these are separate at all, these different forms of oppression. The white supremacy is directly connected to um, why LGBTQ people or a lot of the gay movement before was so violently racist and why a lot of gay people today are still racist, which don't make sense because they have to understand that, the, that a large portion, there were the majority of people who fought the hardest for gay rights were in fact people of color because of other layers of oppression that they had to face as well because when you think of oppression you can't like i mean i've just said this but you can't think of it as just totally different groups you can't think of it as just like blue and green no there's so many things connecting each other and you really have to look at it from a totally different society like sociological perspective if you've been conditioned to that mindset the whole time um what's it called if you're so conditioned to just looking at it like that just like totally different it, it's hard I and mean, will admit it's pretty hard but you kind of have to get over that you have to start looking you have to try to look at how everything is just so connected like the um how the mass incarceration works this and that etc cetera, etc cetera. but yet again back to intersectionality white women have to acknowledge that that what's it called they can't just fight for themselves 
it's the overarching system that's affecting everybody. It's like, I kind of think, I hate to bring in Marxist ideology here, but yeah, Marxist ideology with uniting the working class. It's not just like, what's it called? It's like when white leftists kind of, when they try to engage in discourse, but then totally invalidate someone else's experience. Um, what's it called? Yeah, like a, a white leftist preaching about their beliefs, but then totally like disregarding what a brown person would have to say. That lacks intersectionality and so much con just consciousness and awareness on their part because in the core ideology of leftism, well, of Marx in general is unification of something bigger than just like um, something of what you just, of what you look like. It's about uniting everybody together over a larger, larger framework, such as in the case of Marx, against capitalism so it's kind of getting over that little individual differences to realize who the real enemy is and that's what white supremacy is it's the intersectionality is a direct enemy of white supremacy because interse intersectionality unites minority groups what does white supremacy do it pits minority groups against each other a perfect example of this was during the delano strikes um with cesar chavez and dolores huerta um, oh my god, of course, I can't, I can't, I'm so sorry, I cannot remember the Filipino, we just, we, ugh, I'm Filipino too, damn, that's crazy, okay, let me look it up, oh, I'm so, okay, wait, the Delano strikes, um, but the point is, is that, um, oh, Larry Itliong, duh, sorry, just popped into my head, Larry Itliong, he led the strikes amongst the Filipinos, but the problem was, is that these large corporations, of course, were exploiting these migrant workers, Yes. Well, so then when the Mexicans would strike the um, the Filipinos, they, they would just have the Filipinos take over for them. And then when the Filipinos would strike, they would just have the Mexicans take over. So it was an ongoing group. I mean, ongoing cycle that caused um, that tried to cause a dichotomy between the two. And, and unfortunately, in the end, in that situation, the Filipinos did get the short end of the stick. Um, the Mexicans gained more of the traction. Um, which, yet again, is caused by white supremacy just by the sheer nature of it driving all minority groups apart because it sees them as a threat to their existence, to the existence of its... White supremacy drives the unification of minorities apart because it knows it can take it down. It knows the threat that they pose when people start to unite. Hence why government organizations always tear down... Um, like, the CIA tries to tear down, like, everything. Like, God, like, they, the amount of people they murdered in like various countries but you know that's a separate topic for another time but yeah back to girl boss feminism also white women feminism is very um it's i'm not invalidating the experiences of white women but they have to acknowledge that them being white is the first thing that is ever going to be witnessed like the second you look at a white woman depending if you're queer or not it it's gonna be that you are white you have to acknowledge that is above everything and that matters most whereas for example i'm brown correct i am i am mexican and filipina and i'm also a member of the lgbtq the first thing you look at me is you would see i am brown <laughs> if i was white yet again like i just said it would not be the case or it would be the same thing with someone who is black the first thing they see is your color therefore you have to be aware of that you have to be aware of who you are and what your place is in society and the privilege you hold if you are white and that is the key, I think, to intersectionality and why, um, what was it? Why Fred Hampton 
was assassinated because of his char charisma to unite these minority groups, to unite the white people, the Asians, Mexicans, and black people all around the cause against um, white supremacy and the liberation. So, yeah. Um, America doesn't really like when minority groups come together, aka intersectionality. I mean, God, like, just, like, just look at Nixon's enemy list, filled with journalists, Black Panthers, and then, God, the war on drugs. Don't even get me started on that, but what's it called? Leading back to Marsha P. Johnson, um, she, like, I, I stated this earlier, but she did contract AIDS in 1990 because after a series of psychotic, um, I mean, sorry, psychological and psych psychiatric breaks, in the 80s um she was going through a very dark time which is very understandable to be honest regarding like everything was against all the odds were, were against her facing intense adversity from i mean the government her own people um she resorted to sex work because that was the only form of income she could kind of encounter and then she encountered h she contracted hiv but then at the time hiv was very rampant especially among gay men because of the lack of sex education and stigma around it and that was really the only time that like um <sighs> americans started wearing masks of course covid was like a big thing right but no during the hiv aids um pandemic god those people they were like masking up gloving up everything and um when marcia p johnson when she contracted hiv she um went on an interview with i believe it was a journalist or a news reporter talking about like destigmatizing it talking about how it can't just be contracted with a handshake and i know princess diana did the same thing in the uk she like when she visited the hospital she didn't like wear gloves to shake the hands with one of the patients because the stigma was that you could just get it, you know, just by touching someone. It was it was very, very stigmatized along with sex, sex education. So she really broke that or she attempted to. But then unfortunately, two years later, she died. Um, but she inspires me. Um, her fearlessness, the fearlessness of hers, uh, Sylvia Rivera and those who came before her and who have continued her work because they like they helped me persevere through my own tribulations. Aspects of my life feel difficult. I mean, the fight just at, like, in general at school to make, to make real change with, um, how do I word this? Higher members, I guess, with administration. It feels difficult. It feels frustrating sometimes. But then you have to, I have to think back and, and know, like, and look at figures like Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and really any historical figure that I look up to and realize that change isn't just overnight. It, it's a process. And... You know, if they put in so much work, if they devoted things, if they devoted such large portions, then I can too. I can do this. And I find power and sanctuary in that. So I remember their courage and how they were vessels of change. And I try to channel that into myself. And they're like their form, their model of activism, I think is like a model as to how activism should be in the future particularly like like when i mean when i mean particularly i mean like emphasizing how they tackled intersectionality of like dismantling white supremacy within circle like within more marginalized groups is vital to totally liberate um for sexual liberation for liberation of women um it's just it, it's vital for, to continue that sort of thing and to kind of be rid of liberalism okay no that, that sounds really bad but to be no eh. but to be rid of this fixed thought of what we think what's it called this fixed mindset 
of liberalism with perception that's what i'm looking for to, to change the fixed perception of liberals liberalism that we have because that's how we're gonna do it through changing that out through changing this oh my god through changing that perception and through intersectionality that is the key but yeah anyways thanks for listening <laughs>